and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. In this episode, we'll be discussing chapter four of our book, Customer Satisfaction. Chapter four is about asking the right questions. And as someone once said to me, gravity is always gravity, regardless of how long ago it was established. And one of the things that made me smile was when I reread, re-read the um, opening part of chapter four of the book, when it says the single most common mistake is asking the wrong questions. Keep in mind, this book was written over a decade ago. That would still be the single most common mistake. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and the the book sets up the this kind of... Um, opposition between what it calls the lens of the organization versus the lens of the customer. Um, or sometimes people talk about sort of outside in versus yeah, inside, inside out, out yeah. way of looking things. Um, and I think this is sort of obvious, but if the organization is coming up with the questions for its questionnaire, it's almost impossible for it not to be coming from an inside out perspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. but because it's it's being put together by people within the organization. Um, so e- even if they, let's assume they're making a good faith effort to represent the way customers see the world, that's a hard thing to do. If not impossible, and one of the distinctions I try and make to explain it to people, uh, might not be technically true this, but I say there's sort of two types of research. The one you're describing there is opinion research. People like us sit around in a room, come up with some questions we like to ask customers, get them to answer those questions, and we get customers' opinions on what we've chosen to ask them about. Mm. Valid bit of research, but is getting their opinions on the topics we want to ask them about. Whereas satisfaction measurement, if you're going down the premise of customer satisfaction, is about doing best what matters most, inevitably the criteria you've got to judge yourself against, i.e. the questions you've got to ask customers to judge you against are the things that matter most to them. And that's really difficult to see from an organisation because we see the world differently. Products, processes, people, we don't really see outcomes. And that's difficult to articulate. Uh, It's difficult for us to see, I think, isn't it? It, Yeah. uh, Because we tend to think in terms of, our, as you say, our products and our people and so on, which customers don't care about, really. I always like the thought of why do people buy drills? What is it they want? Is it that they want a drill that's really big and powerful and coloured? And there probably are some people that have some really fine drill collections. Um, But people are actually buying a hole in a wall is what they want. Or actually, they want to hang something up. So who is the competitor of a drill? It's not other drills. It might even be things... um, um, things that you can hang your coat up on. I'm trying to think of the word. No um, more nails or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. Um, coat hangers or, or things like that. Something that you can hang something on that you might do by adhesive. It doesn't need to be holes in walls. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's seeing the outcome. So I think we've we've probably established our view of the lens of the organisation versus the lens of the customer in as a, as a principle that you need to adopt the lens of the customer. I was going to ask you, what do you think are some of the symptoms of a customer survey that, that has been designed with the lens of the organisation? The first one is obviously, well, not obviously, it always tends to be too long. Yes, I, I highlighted that in the book <laughs> and I agree. Yeah. And that's, 
because actually we want to know lots of stuff. We're interested. So let's ask them about this. Let's ask them about that. I'm really interested in this. I'm thinking of doing that. All of which is really good motivational things. The danger is perhaps customers, whilst they may be interested in giving us 10 minutes worth of feedback, they're not going to give us much more feedback. And some of the things that I'm really interested in asking them about are just not things that are interesting to them. Mm. And that links into definitely the second thing, that the questions tend to be about things which aren't important to customers. They are things which tend to be I was going to say important to the organisation, but I think more accurate would be important to the person sat in that room at that moment, mm. not necessarily the organisation. You often, I think, end up with the new, exciting, sexy things Absolutely, rather than yeah. the actual, are you doing your job well? And, and the, the chapter actually goes into to a, an interesting example um, of rail companies trying to understand what's important or, or trying to measure customer satisfaction without understanding what's important to their customers, notably do the trains turn up on time. Um, <laughs> and, and no just, one said this was rocket science. <laughs> no, but it makes you think that I'm sure there will have been great people in those organisations that took some actions as a result of the survey and drive change in the organisation and were spending more time thinking about things such as coffee catering and having things about them than the stuff that really mattered to customers. And that's where research done wrong can be really dangerous. I think the questionnaire, without a shadow of a doubt, it, it is the instrument that you're using to do the operation. It is so, so important. And I know we obviously operate in a commercial world with, with, you know, with our clients and sometimes people can't um, afford your highly inflated prices, Stephen. But if, if they've only got a little bit of money to spend, I always say spend it on the questionnaire design, on exploratory research, because you know good research is asking the right questions in the right way to the right people. And this is about asking the right questions. We'll cover it in the right way to the right people in subsequent chapters. But if you're not asking the right questions, everything else is flawed. I think the, the other symptom that I um, would associate with, with the kind of lens of the organisation view is, and it comes back to this distinction between a relationship survey and an event-driven survey. Yeah. You see these long relationship surveys with you know, tens, um, you know, up to 50 requirements going into enormous detail. There's 10 questions about slightly different aspects of your relationship with staff. There's loads of specific processy stuff that customers don't no, don't and see you it. probably have tried to hide from customers to be seamless in many well, cases. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> I mean, customers shouldn't see all that stuff. Um, whereas, you know, an adventure, and, and it, the, the reason people do that is they want to make the survey actionable. And they think, well, if I go into loads of detail on the questionnaire, I'll be able to link the scores from customers back to specific people, specific yeah. departments, specific parts of the process. The problem is it doesn't work because customers don't know. So you end up with a load of scores essentially you're forcing customers into the sort of halo effect thing where they give they're all right let's give them a seven for everything yeah and it it looks actionable but it isn't yeah and we'll come to more than that in terms of asking things in the right way because if you want an in-depth qualitative set of answers you know doing it via web or telephone is probably not the right way to do it hmm. you've got to make sure the methodology reflects the output you want from you know from the survey 
So um, how do you understand what's important to customers then? Well, this is interesting. I think what, what, the, the rest of the chapter really concerns itself with a discussion around different ways to establish importance. Uh, and we'll maybe go into a bit more detail in a second, but, but at a sort of top line view, it talks about state and importance, and it talks about what's either called impact or derived importance or key driver analysis. And in other words, statistical methods of determining how much influence each of these requirements has on overall satisfaction or, or recommend or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think uh, my starting point is to say they're measuring completely different things. So if you want to know what's important, you first of all need to understand what you mean by important, um, which is maybe maybe slightly weaselly way of answering the question. But it, it depends what you mean. If you want to know, you know how much customers say this stuff matters to them, how, which is how important it is to them, yeah. then I think state and importance does that. If you want to know what's making the most difference to them, that's a different question. Yes, I can see we're going to have a bit of an argument about this. Um, I like the conclusion that the chapter does in the, in the end of saying you really want to do both on your survey, and you can very easily do both on, yeah, yeah. Both on, on your survey. Because I also think that in terms of giving those mental weightings, both have advantages, both have dif disadvantages, we'll, we'll touch on shortly, um, that dependent how satisfied customers are, I think gives a, makes you bow a little bit more to one of those. Generally, if people, uh, if an organisation is delivering really poor satisfaction, you can make that point very clearly in stated importance. Mm. This thing is really important to customers. Customers say it's really important and they are really unhappy about it. And I think that can be quite a, a nice and simple message to deliver. Once you start going up the league table and you're delivering relatively higher levels of satisfaction, understanding what is making an impact on the way people are, um, are viewing your organisation in terms of satisfaction probably becomes, I think, a bit more important. Uh, you know, it's all stated importance can just overemphasize the hygiene factors, but it's pretty good to get the hygiene factors right at first as a starting point. Yeah, and I think my view is that if you if you want to understand this properly, you need to stop thinking in terms of averages. Um, so I think looking at your average satisfaction score against stated importance, which is kind of step one of, of thinking about this kind of stuff, it is a good thing to do. But as you move up the lead table, that no long it stops being the right question to ask. So. The chapter sort of talks about a couple of, of, of potential problems that people have with stated importance. The first is that some people think you just get loads of high scores, which is kind of a little bit true, but addressable with the scale you use and, and the yeah. way you ask the question. So I, I don't really think that's a fair objection. The other one is this idea of givens, that there are certain things which don't actually make a difference because everyone is good at them. We can just take it for granted. It's a hygiene factor, it's a satisfaction maintainer, or it's a given. Uh, and the classic example, of course, is safety in, in air travel. And it is, you know, if you take safety because it's such an extreme example of a given, um, you know, if you say to someone, how important is safety in air travel? Of course, it's a 10 out of 10. 
Yeah. Does it help you choose who you're going to fly to New York? Well, no, it doesn't, because BA are very safe and Virgin are very safe. The other common example is cleanliness in a restaurant. Mm. Is it important? Of course it is, 10 out of 10. But I would have been to numerous restaurants where they haven't seen that. Or yeah, yeah. So whilst on one level it might be really obvious, um, because it's a given, it, it's only really a given when everyone is performing to a really high standard on it. it, it you're exactly anticipating, I think, where I'm going next, which is, I think, the, 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 the red herring bit of safety is that it really is a given. Like, it, it, the, the airlines really genuinely are routinely, astonishingly Safe. good <laughs> at safety. There are very few givens that are as extreme givens as that. Um, and cleanliness in a restaurant is a good example. It ought to be a given, but actually a significant percentage of the time, a significant number of restaurants let their customers down on that. But rather than look, and that's why, rather than looking at an average, what you need to look at, I think, is the percentage of customers who are not happy yeah. um, against things that we think are givens. Yeah. And I, th I think one of the sort of fundamentals with, with givens is it, it does re-emphasise about a lot of this is getting the basics right. The... You know, the inside-out survey, as you say, is always about the sexy, exciting stuff, which is okay as long as the airline is safe, mm. the plates are clean, the organisation actually does what it says it will do, and then it can get into the building relationships, mm. the innovation, because there's no point doing that stuff that will really make a difference if it hasn't got ticks against the givens and safety is an extreme example and I would think oh, most of our clients certainly those that aren't in the top quartile there is gaps on those givens that stated importance will highlight perhaps only one but there usually is a gap it doesn't come on time it doesn't do what it's meant to do or you don't do what you said you would do a promise wasn't kept yeah no, I think there often is still some dissatisfaction on there. Uh, I think that the, the key for me is, is understanding it in the right way, which is we don't need to be wonderful at this. You know, if we're a restaurant, we don't need to sterilise all the knives and forks. <laughs> we just need to make sure that none of them are dirty ever. Uh, so it's about consistently being good enough rather than being, you know, some, some astonishing world-class level. You wouldn't put them through the dishwasher four times, the knives and forks at your, at your restaurant. I, I wouldn't, no. <laughs> but I would put them through once and check. Yeah. I would make sure I have a management check in place there. So um, do I really want to talk about correlation and collinearity with you? I don't, I don't know whether you do or not, <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, it, 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 is, it is important to, to try and understand this if you're actually going to be doing... Um, the analysis, certainly you need to get your head around these kind of uh, these techniques for determining impact. If you're not going to be doing the analysis yourself, if you're going to be getting uh, someone such as us to do it for you, then I think you need to understand what it tells you, what it, what it can do. Um, and what are the sort of pros and cons of, of some of the techniques available. And the rest of the chapter talks through a kind of if you like a sort of ladder of sophistication of techniques, so it talks about using a straightforward bivariate correlation, which is, yeah. is is what we tend to do as a first starting point for a client. You know, what, what's your impact score? That's the correlation between each requirement and and overall satisfaction. Um, the reason that's attractive 
in a nutshell is because it's simple, um, it's easy to understand, it makes very few sort of assumptions of the data. You, know, you, you don't have to worry too much about sample size, you don't have to worry too much about what you're doing with missing data. Um, and so it, it's a simple link there. It's well. simple and it, it's a good starting point. It puts a ceiling on how much impact can this thing be having on overall satisfaction. So the number might get, get lower in other techniques, but it's never going to get higher. Yeah, yeah. Some of the more advanced techniques, so we, we talk here about multiple regression, which is also called key driver analysis. And for me, um, you know, the, the, the main takeaway from that is, again, what question are you asking of the data? If your question is, what is the one priority I should have? What's the, the one thing that makes most difference to customers? It does an excellent job of answering that. If your question is, what's the relative importance of all these requirements? It does a terrible job of answering that. Yeah. One of the things that was going through my mind as you're talking, and this is probably not great research, but it's certainly a very practical use, particularly when we talk about questionnaire length and responses, um, that you can get into a situation where you are asking the customer a lot of questions about something the customer would see very similar. I mean, delivery mm -hmm. might be one of those. Is it you know delivery time, lead time, on time, in full, stuff in stock? Or even like an account manager, you know, as researchers, we, we could come up with some really unique and customers would say all these things are different. You know, does my account manager, are they reliable? Are they available? Have they got the right knowledge? Do they keep in contact with me? Are they proactive? All of which are different. But I think sometimes you can actually use the correlation technique to say, actually, why don't we just ask them one question on the account manager? And if they're not happy, we'll probe so we know whether it's about availability or knowledge or keeping promises. But it certainly makes the questionnaire a bit more respondent friendly, you know, without sacrificing the actionability, without sacrificing the actionability in it. Yeah, and I think that's, I think there's two good points there. One is this is the questionnaire design point of view that we do tend to, particularly on staff, there's always too many staff questions which are always very highly correlated with each other. Um, uh, it can often be an effective way to design a questionnaire to sort of turn it on its head, as, as you're saying, and then start with an overall question. And if the customer scores that low, dig into why um, to get to the actionable lower level bit. I think from an analytical point of view, you can almost do the opposite, which is you know using these statistical techniques combined with a bit of common sense, you can understand which things are related to each other, yeah. um, and then combine them before you get to the kind of regression yeah. modeling stage. Um, so people will often use a technique called principal components regression, which, yeah. which does precisely that, um, and there are sort of more sophisticated ways as well. Uh, on which note, I just had a, a, one one slightly not provocative question, but but a question that's always puzzled me. Yeah, is we you know we are you know over the years we've worked with people in a lot of different countries, and you see a lot of research that people do uh, in different countries, and you know, read academic articles and so on. And one of the things, anecdotally, I feel is that there's a there's a much more receptive audience in the US and in sort of continental Europe for some of the more advanced sort of causal modelling techniques than there is in the UK. Why do you think that is? So you're saying the audience as in our clients rather than as in customers? Yes. Is that yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 
I th- I th- that's a really good question. I think it's understanding an understanding of the topic and really what people want to get out of the topic. There's no doubt, certainly in America, whether it's being driven by Harvard, Michigan, who, whoever, it's it's recognised as a topic that has depth to it, a science to it. You know, we spend a lot of time researching things here. I can remember in a previous life, I designed a customer satisfaction survey that was completely, I know now, biased, inaccurate, and will have led me to the wrong conclusions. But I did my best. Mm. I might have had quite a few negative bits and some minor scores and a few more plus scores and a rating scale that wasn't balanced and asking double questions. But I was trying to do my best. So I certainly think in America, people understand it's a topic um, and want to get the most from it. I'm struggling to think of a difference between continental Europe and the UK um, without... No, I can't. Why did you well, say that? It may, maybe this is just uh, sort of my anecdotal experience. But thinking of, about the sort of, you know, the kind of marquee, um, you know, gold standard techniques for understanding causal relationships. You're talking about techniques like structural equation modeling, yeah. particularly sort of partial least squares structural equation modeling for, for yeah. customer experience stuff. Um, clients we've worked on that stuff with, none of them have been UK. They've all True. been Irish or French, yeah. um, which is uh, maybe that's somehow our fault, but it's an interesting anecdote. If you look at, for example, well, the, the use of um, those sorts of models in you know national um, measures of customer yes. satisfaction, and the European yeah. CSI is structured in that way, yeah. there doesn't seem to be an appetite for it in the UK. Yeah. Perhaps it might be the we are an island approach because certainly in some of the sort of the pan-European um, arenas that, that I get involved in, it's a lot easier to get the idea to people that customers might want different things. Like they might actually all speak in different languages mm-hmm. and have different expectations. Um, so having something that really lets you understand the difference in what customers want even in languages and protocol, comes a lot easier than perhaps um, the island that is, you know, the UK, and we will just shout louder if people don't understand what we're saying. So I think there might be more of a intellectual, um, and, and certainly you would see that a lot with Ireland and a lot of the clients we've worked with with Ireland. There's a very intellectual take on, mm. you know, an intellectual take on this. That was a difficult question, that, Stephen. <laughs> okay, so in terms of um, really customer satisfaction is about doing best what matters most. You've got to ask customers the right questions. There's only one way you can decide which questions to ask customers, and that's going to talk to some of them. So um, in terms of the next chapter, we'll look at chapter five. It's called exploratory research, and that is really understanding what questions to ask customers, how to see the world through their, through their lens. So, yeah, that, that wraps up Chapter 4. Thanks for listening. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. Uh, and if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com. And as I say, we'll be back next month with more ideas for turning your customer insight into impact and action. Mm-hmm.